My loves, I don't know if you're like me or many of my friends or a lot of the people that I know, but listen, do you have a cabinet in your kitchen that's packed with supplements and all these amazing things? They're all there to support your overall health, to boost your gut, to boost your vitality, but you ended up being like too overwhelmed to even like look at it and create a routine with them that you're like just ended up skipping taking your supplements. I've been there too, honey. And this is why I want to take a moment to share an incredible discovery with you, my darling. It's called AG1. And let me tell you, it's been a game changer for me. And how I noticed that it was a big game changer for me was when me and my dad were were, were doing that grief walk from Uh, friends through Spain. And I got to tell you, the food was delicious, but it wasn't the best for my gut. But how I kept the gut going, how I kept boosting my vitality throughout the walk was every morning I would put a pack, a packet of the AG1 into a water bottle and I would shake it up and I would drink it. Even my dad, who's always like, here, dad, here, this is good for you. He's like, no, thanks. And granted, you know, the homies got, you know, he's doing really well um, health-wise. And, but he's always like, nope. But with this, with AG1, he was like, okay, give me some. And he would take it. And it's, there is, it's it's amazing when you take something, uh, you know, with routine and you start to see the results. It's like, okay, fine. I found my thing. Especially because it's just one serving that has the most straightforward way and simplest way for you to get your vitamins and your nutrients and your minerals and your prebiotics and probiotics. And honestly, why take a bunch of different things when you can just get um, all of it in, in one scoop of this delicious magic AG1 powder? into a glass of water or into the beautiful uh, water bottle that you get. This is how I start my days, honey. And honestly, if you're a traveler, they also uh, will send you, you could also get the AG1 travel packs and they're amazing. And and every time I have a friend that comes over to the house, I'm always like, here, take a couple of these and try it out for yourself, you know? And I want to share an amazing, exclusive, delicious offer with you today. If you want to take ownership of your health, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com backslash sa. So that's drinkag1number1.com backslash sa. Um, You got that. And if you don't go to the show notes, it's there. And cheers to your health and your vitality. What's up, spiritually sassy warriors? How you doing, gorgeous being? Listen, welcome back to the spiritually sassy show. This podcast is here to help you heal and live a bold, authentic, and joyful life. I'm your host, Sadi Simone, and I'm so honored and grateful that you've decided to spend the next hour with me, with this community. So bless you. Now, let me tell you about today's episode. Today's episode uh, was recorded live. It was a members-only experience for the Somatic Activated Healing Membership. This is a, uh, a Dharma workshop. 
is something that happens once a month for the members of the Somatic Activated Healing Membership. And this Dharma workshop was based on chapter four of my new book called Spiritually We, which I hope you have pre-ordered. I hope you have ordered. I hope it's already on the way to your house. Spiritually We is about the art of relating and connecting from the heart. It's a call for all of us together to help end the loneliness epidemic because we cannot and we should not do life alone. We are biologically, psychologically, spiritually required to have friends. So the book is a, is a call to that. And this Dharma workshop is called Conflict is for Lovers. So you're in for the next hour to be listening to me, educating and inspiring, hopefully, uh, new ways for you to do the hard part of relating, which conflict is inevitable. This will naturally happen because we have different opinions, because we have different circumstances in our lives, because we have a unique karma in the ways that we approach reality. So conflict will naturally happen. However, for the vast majority of people, conflict always ends in rupture, not in intimacy. Conflict always ends in, she's toxic, they suck, I'm never talking to you again, instead of deep, intimate connection. So, get into this episode, and don't forget, if you love the show, and if you love what I'm sharing, I need two things from you today. I need you to uh, review, subscribe, Talk about this on social media, everywhere, far and wide. Use your platform to speak about this message because it's a vital message that we need to end the loneliness epidemic and also order the book. All right. I love you. Enjoy. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. If you're watching this live with me, hello. It's nice to be here sharing this space with you right now. If you're watching this on replay, hello. Nice to see you. Welcome back. We've missed you. Today's Dharma workshop is Conflict is for Lovers. And I got to tell you, this chapter is one that a lot of people, when I'm doing the, you know, because I've started the, 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 the book tour, so I'm doing like one to two interviews a day and max. In the past, you know, I would have done four to five and I would have been like, throw me another one, throw me another one. But now I'm like, no, bitch, no, no, uh-uh. Rest is the most vital, important, necessary aspect of my life right now. And I know rest is such a privilege, but we have to find ways of resting. I'm actually resting on the floor in between uh, podcasts. I'm resting on the floor between meetings. I'm going to bed and I'm like doing a whole slumber. I'm putting my pajamas in the middle of the day. Like I'm doing all the things that will... Uh, propagate more rest in my life. I'm drinking chamomile tea instead of green tea in the middle of the day when I need to chill the fuck out. I'm going on a walk. I'm not going to a hit class. I'm just changing my whole game towards rest. The word for this year for me is rest and obviously community. And I can't be in community if I'm not resting. So Back to Conflict is for Lovers. It's chapter four of my new book, Spiritually We. And this is the uncorrected uh, copy, which it has the, says it at the top there. We have Dr. Nicola Perez's um, endorsement right up here, which is so beautiful, what she had to say about the book. Um, so amazing to have someone so prolific in, um, in her work 
say such beautiful things about the, the, the importance of this book. But conflict is for lovers is something that I'm noticing every interviewer wants to talk about this. They find the title of this chapter really intriguing. They find conflict is for lovers. What does that even mean? I thought as lovers, we're not fighting. I thought that I thought that what I heard on social media or in the movies that when you have, when you, here's what I hear. When you find your soulmate, there's no fighting. You never fight. We just laugh. We just giggle. We just smooch. We just cuddle. It's so beautiful. It's so easy. And a part of me is always like, mm, are you for real? But then I was talking to Dr. Scott Lyons, who wrote Addicted to Drama, um, an iconic somatic legend who has like, you know, such huge influence in the somatic world. He's like, and I was on his podcast the other day and he goes, you know, the more somatically attuned you are, the more your bullshit detector is on. And I was like, yeah, because when I hear people saying we never fight, we're always it's always so easy. It's always so beautiful. A part of me is like, oh, sweetie pie, come here. The mom that's like, it's okay for you to lie, sweetie pie. Come here. Come here, sweetie pie. And a part of me is like, like literally like cringing inside because my somatic detector for lying is lit. And it's like, don't lie. Conflict is a good thing. It deepens connection. Conflict is a good thing. It deepens connection. However, the problem is we don't know how to fight. We do not know how to fight. What do, how do we fight? We regurgitate the past into the present. We allow our unprocessed baggage to dictate how we see the present moment. We are not in the here and the now open wide enough to allow uh, the present version of us to inform how we're relating. We are constantly like unconsciously regurgitating the past in the present moment, fighting a fight in the present moment with the past version of ourselves. That's crazy. We can't be doing that shit. You got to allow the old versions of yourself, the old stuff to die. Put her to the grave, honey. Make a gorgeous cryptic for her, but let her die. Okay. So I'm going to read you a little bit about this and then a little bit about uh, a little bit from this chapter. And then there's many things I want to cover today. And we will have time for questions and we will have time for workshopping stuff where I'm going to give you a prompt and I'm going to ask you to, to, to write. For instance, conflict is for lovers. You're not going to, you're not going to be in the role of, of a student and a teacher in every single experience in your life. From one side, yes, every experience is a teacher and every experience is you can be the teacher and the student in every single experience of your life, every single one of them. However, there is a depth of teaching and there's a depth of understanding. There's, there's a, there's a, um, this is the paradox, right? The certain experiences are here to radically call us into deeper intimacy. And some of us are here to call us back into our bodies. Are we communicating? Calling you back into your body is already a big thing. But however, some experience are not, not only going to call you back into your body, but they're going to call you into a, into a path intervention. They're going to move you towards the right when you've been going left. And the conflict is for lovers. It is a sacred experience that should be experienced and exercised with the core five in your life and the core 15. According to Dunbar's research, 
we don't have the, the cognitive ability of knowing more than 150 people, which is something I write in the book too. With the world of social media, we think we have this capacity of knowing more than 150 people, but cognitively, the ways we are biologically wired, we can only know 150 people. So if we're doing the Saturn rings, right, coming in closer and closer to that core five, 150 are the people who are going to, who are in your life for the once in a lifetime event, funerals, weddings, boom. In, in the 150, you have a closer circle of 50. Those are the big birthday bash where you ask your friend, you know, the, the rich friend in the group, Sally, can I throw a party in your backyard for my 40th birthday? That. And in that 50, in that 40th or 60 or whatever sort of big birthday party you want to have, um, you are going to invite those 50 people. Those, When you think about your big birthday bash, you're thinking about those 50. You're not thinking about the 150. Now, a layer deeper, and I explained this in detail in the book, right? But just today, I was going to give you a little overview because this chapter comes, chapter four, comes after this chapter that I'm explaining Dunbar uh Square, the Dunbar, excuse me, the Dunbar research. Dunbar Square is in Nepal and Kathmandu. And it was, um, <laughs> that's why I went there. Uh, it was pretty destroyed in the earthquake that happened in 2014 uh, or 2015. I got to see the square, Dunbar Square, before and after the earthquake. Um, anyways, back to Dunbar research. From the 50, you go into the into the 15. The 15 are the people who will fly across the world, who will fly across the country when your mother dies. These are the people who will come when you need help. They know you really well and you know them really well. And within that 15, then there's the even closer circle, the core five. The core five usually makes up with, with your uh, partner and your kids people who you spend the most time with. However, people who are in your core five don't necessarily make up the people who you are in intimate relationship with, which is something that you have got to change. You have got to make the core five. You have to translate them, not translate them. You have to graduate them out of being the peripheral of your life, meaning you your relationship with them is sort of a superfluous, even though you guys live together. Your relationship is superfluous, even though that's your business partner. Your relationship is superfluous, even though that's your oldest daughter. Are we communicating? You've got to translate, translate, no upgrade those relationships into the intimate circle where you can be in conflict with them. But remember, conflict is deepening intimacy. Remember that conflict is a way for us to develop our hearts, develop our best qualities. So when we are practicing conflict is for lovers, we're going to be working with the core five and the core 15. You know, obviously, if if you have time and space to exercise that with other people, by all means, but I really want you to refrain from um, wasting energy with people who are not willing to fight the good fight. Are we communicating? Which means um, they want to be free just like you. They want to be liberated just like you. They want to, uh, their life, their life, they figured out the meaning of their human experience. That is very important there. Let's put it in simple terms. 
they figure out the purpose of their life? This is a big question. This is a big thing. Like, who knows? But I believe that us in here, in this community, we are practicing freedom. We're practicing what we call in the Buddhist lineage, the Bodhisattva vow. Or you can, if, you, if you're a Christian, um, you may say uh, you're walking on Jesus's shoes. You are making your life mean something by being of service to the world. So you're, the purpose of your life is to become liberated. And in your liberation, you're helping people to become free as well. And if you have questions about what that liberation means, um, I can ask, I can answer them later for you. But I think we all have tasted freedom. I think if we're listening to this, if we're practicing here, if we are together right now, we've all tasted it. And it's better to taste it than to talk about it. Because the moment we put words to things that are ineffable, we lose the plot. But you're starting to, you're starting to get the picture, right? That the core five and the core 15 are the people who you have to um, see and make the connection to deepen the bond. And here's another thing that has to, I have to say too. There are people in your core, in your group of 50 who have been actively trying to get into your 15, who have actively been trying to get into your five, but guess what? You don't hold the mindset of paradox. You don't hold the open heart of paradox. So you keep them, you keep them away. You're like, no, no. You can only come to my party. You're my drug friend. You're my party friend. I mean, uh, you know, we've graduated from that season of, of that. But you know what I'm saying? We have friends who want to deepen, who call, who text, who are there, who show up in big and small ways, in strange times, in hard times, in good times. But we, because we're not present and because we have this colonized, socialized view of what friendship should be or what our friends should look like because of all of our biases, that we keep them away, that we keep them at arm's length, you know, because we want our best self and our best self in relationship to, in, in regards of friendship because of the world we live in today is very much muddled with ableism, with fat phobia, with uh, status, with racism, with queer phobia. There's a lot of that that's playing out in the background of our of our psyche that we're not even aware of. That we're it's holding us back from engaging with people who are different than us. Although they're showing up, but I I'm doing my I'm I I'm I'm perfecting my best self. The best self that the world of personal development, the cycle babble of social media preaches, it is one that is indoctrinated and colonized by the beauty industry. It's colonized and indoctrinated by standards of beauty that only hurt, don't connect. Are we communicating? It's a standard from the longevity industry that says if you're aging in this way, you're not taking really good care of yourself. So therefore, you're not being your best self. Therefore, you're not part of my core five. Are we communicating? You have to wake up out of all the ways that the longevity industry, the beauty industry, the capitalistic God, the money demon, all of them are sitting in your altar and keeping you away from connection. Are we communicating? This is something I speak about earlier on in the book. We're in chapter four. You have to understand this. We're in chapter four. So we're halfway into the book. That's why I'm giving you a little bit of context before I even start reading, before we even get into the, into the nitty gritty of this. 
for a reason. Because so many of us have lost the plot with this mentality of best self. Fuck the best self. How free do you want to be? That's the question you have to ask. Fuck the best self. How free do you want to be? Because the standards of beauty will never stop. The standards of longevity and how you should be aging, how you should be looking, what does the best self look like, how much you should weigh, how much you should make, what kind of job you have, it will never stop because we are living in a system that is deeply broken. The modernity that we that has supported us to, to rest more, one may say, to have dishwasher and washing machine, you know, and we can call across the world. This The modernity um, has a lot of good things, but has a lot of fucked up things. And you have to be really aware that our modernity isn't leading to, to a modern human. It's leading us to a sick human. And I'm not here to, to look at all the place blame. No, because remember, as a Buddhist, blame, shame, there's no place for it. There's no place for it. Because we believe that we are, us humans, us people, together, co-creating the shape of our reality. We're not saying that God doesn't exist. We're not saying that the deities that don't exist. We're not saying that the unseen world doesn't exist. We're not saying that perhaps there is a one powerful God and perhaps there is one powerful devil. No, we're not saying that. What we are saying is that we're co-creating with these energies that we are being co-architects with them. So that puts us in the, in the seat of responsibility as well. And us waking up out of this delusion of the best self, keeping us away from engaged with people who don't look or, or do things that we equate to best self in our lives. No way. No way. Let me tell you something. I have had opportunity of working some of the most famous people in the world, right? We don't need to name who they are. You probably have heard me talk about them. Well, you've done enough research to know. And I got to tell you, traveling to foreign places and arriving at different places and getting into, uh, into uh, a private car or a private home or a private plane, I have to tell you, the people who are surrounding these utterly famous people, it's not all their celebrities. They are the homies that they went to high school with. It's the homies that, that grew up down the street from them. So you have to know that because you are perhaps in the quote unquote successful era of your life, you are in your villain era. I'm using all this like vernacular of social media because it fucking throws me off and it makes me so enraged by it, but I bring it in to just make it uh, uh, cute. We have to realize that the people who've been there for us, they may not be doing the things that we want them to do. They may not be doing the best self thing. That's okay. But do they tend to our grief? Yes. Do they tend to our, to our joy? Yes. Can you text them good news and they are happy for you? Yes. Can you text them sad news and they're sad with you? Yes. Will they drop everything and get on the plane the day your mother dies without a bag because they heard the news and they were grocery shopping? They asked their husband, driving to the airport right now, I have to get on a flight to Brazil. 
No questions asked. That. That. That's the barometer. Are we communicating? Are we communicating? And conflict is for lovers. For the now speaking about the longevity of your life. This is research from last year, right? And probably you've seen this this uh, post that I put up a few days ago. But research from uh, last year shows that forty percent of the elderly community, uh, elderly population, has no social support. Forty percent, which means they're not in touch with their families, they're not in touch with their friends, or they have no friends. Forty percent. Okay, that is already alarming, right? Which means you go into a room with ten people. Four of them have no one, will have no one to support them when they become inevitably sick and they walk towards inevitable death. Now, me talking to social workers at the hospital, me being working with the sick and dying in a hospital, what have I realized? The 40% is not the truth. 40% is a a statistic that says like, it's still them over there, not me which is so not the truth. We're not looking at 40%. We're looking at 60 to 70% of the elderly population in a hospital. And I work at one of the biggest hospitals in America, quote unquote, one of the, one of the best hospitals in the world, which means these people have the means. These people have the means. We also know that a lot of our health is directly to the, how much money we have, especially if you live in America. Shit. But here's the here's the 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 most important point of this is that we have seventy uh, percent of the of the elderly sixty seventy percent of the elderly population has no social support, so they're going through the hardest times in their life without anyone there. Their best friend is a caretaker that they pay, and guess what? Their best friend is their job. Guess what? They go home and they may shit talk you to their best friend. Or to their partner, because you're still their boss and you still perhaps ask them to do things that they don't want to do at times that they don't want to do. I'm saying all this because you need to create the core five and the core 15 now. It's an urgent call. It is an urgent call. So you don't participate in the loneliness epidemic. So you don't become someone whose brain is, uh, whose brain's reward system is heightened. So you become addicted more easily. So you are not actively undergoing pain because social pain is translated and and uh and uh, translated in the brain as physical pain. This is not some woo-woo spiritual jargon. This is scientific evidence. Social pain is translated in the brain as physical pain. So imagine the pain of having lived a lonely life. No wonder why I need to fucking get a drink, bitch. No wonder why I need to smoke pot 24/7. Smoke your pot for smoke your pot for mental health reasons. Smoke your pot for physical pain. Moderation. If it's consuming you, it's because there's something else tugging at you that you're unwilling to look at. Are we communicating? So this entire Dharma workshop and, and this the entire premise of this book is this. It's a call to action that you don't, I don't want you to die alone. I don't want you, here's, and I feel my voice choking up already. 
I don't want to be the only person next to your bed when you're dying. I don't want to be there with your daughter. And she flew in the day before because the nurse called and said, your mother is going to die tomorrow. I don't want to be that only person there with your daughter. Your daughter hasn't been there throughout the process. Why? Because in the society that we live in today, nursing homes is what we do. Out of sight, out of mind. No way. It's out of sight, but not out of mind. Okay. We have been socializing to get our kids out to college when they're 18 and see for Christmas once a year. And what do we do with our parents? Same thing. See for Christmas. We're not prioritizing. We're not prioritizing connection. And connection starts with amending family bonds. And I know some of you are like, Sai, you don't understand. My family's fucked up. I get it. Trust me. I get it. But your way of cutting off your family tree is how you are unconsciously relating to your people in your life. They do one thing that's not cute. They post one thing that's not cute. They do one thing. They're out of my life. Bye. I've tried. They're not growing as fast as I'm growing. They're not healing as fast as I'm healing. Fuck that. Fuck that. Do you want to die alone? By all means. And I'm being a bitch now. No, I don't want that for you. I don't want that for you at all. I want a room full of people how my mother died. I want your funeral to be a party how my mother's funeral was. I want people there whispering to you. I'm busy. I'm disoriented. I'm not in my body. But people are urging me to be in my body because they're saying the sweetest things about my dead mother whose body is right there. I can see her body in a coffin from the corner of my eye. But... I can hear what they're saying because they're saying sweet, loving things about my mom. This is what we have to aspire towards. Are we communicating? 60% of young adults in America report feeling seriously lonely. Two in five people in America report that their relationships are meaningless. Suicide rates in the, la in the last few years has gone up 30%. The message of this book is uh, is one that I feel like I'm going to be screaming from the top of my lungs for a long time until we really wake up and we really understand that we must prioritize connection, not prioritize work, not prioritize stuff. And I mean, prioritize work because we got to pay the bills. We got to keep the lights on. Yes. But are you on your phone? When you should be engaging connection because you're getting just another email, just getting, just finishing up some work and it's Sunday morning. You don't have a sacred day anymore. You don't have a sacred day. There's no sacredness in your life. The capitalistic God has taken over. Therefore, productivity is, is your currency. Productivity is your spiritual practice, not connection. But let me tell you, going through the death portal without friends, without community, is something you don't want to experience. Entering the last couple of weeks of your life or the last few months or the last year of your life, because you know, you know when you're about to die. Let me tell you this. 
You don't want to be entering these portals alone. And you may say, oh, I'm in my 30s. I'm in my 40s. I've got, I've got a long time. I hope so. I hope so. But the truth is, if you're not living well, which is directly tied to the depth of your connections, you're not going to die well. Are we communicating? So it is vital, <clears throat> vital that you start to make a shift. So this is just a little bit of context for what we're doing today. Hello. <laughs> I just did a little bit of a, of a precursor. Do you know what I mean? To get you started in what we're doing today. Um, and I'm going to keep hammering this into you more and more because we, we have to realize that connection is the greatest thing. Remember the story of the Buddha, right? I, I shared this in a book too. Uh, Ananda asked the Buddha, how important is community on the spiritual path? And the Buddha paused and said, Ananda, the spiritual path is the community. The community is the spiritual path. The spiritual path is created in community. Now we have this me, mine, and I world of personal development that says my life, my needs, my boundary, my trauma, me, 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 manifest, 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 which is cute. Look, but let me tell you where the manifestation is going to leave you. Who's going to lead you, girl? Lonely. Sorry. She's lonely. And unfortunately, sometimes it's too late. The amount of times I meet patients in the hospital and all I want to do is take their phone and call their son that they haven't talked to in 30 years. All I want to do is have them call their sister that they haven't talked to in God knows how many years. All I want to do is unburden their heart and soften the wall so they can just reach, but it's too late. They rather die proud that they are not the ones that soften. Because softening is weakness. Forgiveness is weakness. And I am brave. Are we communicating? Don't be that person. If you've cut off your mom, dad, siblings, and it's been a few years, test your material. Test your material. Because if you're not testing your material, then you're not on a spiritual path. You're in a path of, you're in a path of, of personal development, which is fine. But it's not this space. I want you here. But you got to show up to be in this room, which means you have to test your material. You must test your material. Okay. All right. So here it goes. Sacred friendship does take work. It's sweet labor. That doesn't mean relationships should be full of strife. It does mean accepting that even when you love someone, even when you get along really well, even when you share similar values, life is going to serve up things that are uncomfortable, hard, painful, unpleasant. Those could be misunderstandings between people, mistakes we make, events in our lives that are hard to deal with. In other words, life is going to serve up conflict. 
Doing the work of sacred friendship means that you do what needs doing to sustain the relationship, that you do the work of a sacred friend, loving radically with compassion and skillful honesty, even when life serves up difficult conversations, when life serves up loss. Instead, for so many of us, because conflict is so deeply uncomfortable, we respond to it from a place of panic, thoughtlessly and without self-awareness. When the clash happens, it's not two or even one self-aware people, two radical lovers seeking perspective. It's two people speaking shadow to shadow, subconscious to subconscious, automatic behavior grappling with automatic behavior. Most of us fumble through conflict, triggered, our emotions running high, our cortisol pumping, our old played out stories leading the charge, or we run away, avoid, 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 sheltering behind rigid boundaries. Sometimes the boundaries are the response to the trigger, a response to a pattern that becomes a pattern itself. Behind it all, the fear. Fear of discomfort, fear of rejection, fear of loss. This might land harsh AF, but I have to tell you, the point of life isn't to really be happy. That's different from being free. In my community, I see people all the time who preach spiritual enlightenment, but who live lives verging on the hedonistic. For them, despite what they spouse verbally, the pursuit of pleasure is the ultimate goal. There's nothing wrong with, a, with living a happy life, but if that means avoiding all people and things that make you uncomfortable, you've totally missed the point of life on earth. Worse, it means you operate without the possibility of compassion, which requires a recognition of suffering, not just in others, but in all of us. Avoidance of conflict might feel like a survival tactic, one you adopt in good faith, but all it does is prevent connection while cultivating blame and allowing you to deny responsibility for your own actions and unloved trauma. The avoidant behavior that runs rampant in our society simply reinforces the idea that escaping the present moment is somehow advantageous. And as you know, you can't get free. There's no liberation to be had if you can't be present. Avoiding conflict is personal development, not spirituality. You know, because it's all about me, my life, my feelings. I matter more than you do. Being in conflict is part of the spiritual path. Avoiding pain, avoiding loss means avoiding life itself. To be a sacred friend, to be in any relationship, we can't run away from pain, from loss, from discomfort. We can't avoid it. We have to be willing to engage. We have to run toward life. We have to show up for what's difficult as much as we have to show up for what gives us pleasure. My love, conflict is a part of every relationship, every romance, every friendship, every family dynamic. Because in life, we're going to disagree. We're going to misunderstand each other. We're all showing up on this plane with our unique karma. 
We're going to have needs, values, goals, motivations, perspectives, and preferences that are not always perfectly aligned with those we love or simply tolerate. There's been so much written about healthy versus unhealthy conflict, but what if we acknowledge that conflict itself, it's just neutral without inherent value? It's what arises between two people when we can't quite when we can't quite keep it copacetic. Let's save the healthy and unhealthy labeling for how we respond to conflict. I bring this up because maybe, just maybe, if you can bring some third truth energy to conflict, there's good, there's bad, and there is what is. We wouldn't be so fucking afraid of it. Maybe if we could bring some third truth energy to conflict, recognize the spiritual potential of what we don't know, and making room for the something else, we would see the creative potential of conflict, the possibility it offers us to build connection, to deepen understanding with each other, but also with ourselves. So let this land for just a second. Just like lower your gaze or close your eyes and just see what resonated most with you. So now from this place, there are some things that we, that I want to start to invite you to uh, take account and look into and um, make a note at the top of your notebook. And we're going to go back to this a little later when I give you some time to workshop this, but who is in your core five and who is in your 15? And obviously your five are in your 15. But just make a note so we can start to invite this, this into, our, um, into our psyche, into our awareness, into our body. So we start to be like, oh, wow, I actually never thought about this. I don't have a list of favorites on my phone, although the iPhone offers favorites, but I just talk to whoever messages me or I just randomly talk to people. I never really... I'm not actively being a gardener to, to specific people in my life. Um, I'm kind of treating connection as a, a secondary, not primary uh, experience in this human um, experience. Now, speaking about conflict, third truth, you heard me briefly talk about this, and I speak about this throughout the entire book. Third truth is where there's spiritual potential, right? In conflict between two people, I have my perspective, you have your perspective. My perspective shows me this, your perspective shows you that, and oftentimes our perspectives don't match, and that's where conflict happens. Third truth is a spiritual potential. It's what we are not seeing, and we're not seeing the spiritual potential of the of, of that conflict because we are oftentimes not in our bodies. And it's hard to hear that it's that simple, but it really comes down to it because when we're not, when we are 
We're not in our bodies. Where are we? We are interpreting the experience. We are narrating. We're hovering. We're pathologizing. We're judging. We're criticizing. And we're criticizing. It's all about my perspective, my feelings, the way I engage with life, the way I do life. It's all about my way. And I believe that my way is the right way. And you believe your way is the right way. So that's why conflict happens. Now, third truth energy is when we can look at, look up. I'm not saying look up at the sky and say, where's the third, third truth? You could be cute like that, but it's not really what I'm saying. I want you to understand that your perspective is valid. Their perspective is valid, but there's something else that is the truth that we're not seeing because your perspective is built on how you've lived your life. Their perspective is built on how they've lived their life. So it's very one-sided. It's very myopic. Now, in order to be a co-creation, in order to be a healing engagement, we have to always remind ourselves, I don't know the whole truth. I don't know the whole truth. Are we communicating? I don't know the whole truth. So in short, in simple terms, the third truth is you always reminding yourself that I don't know the whole truth, that my view unconsciously is myopic, means it's only self-serving. Third truth serves all people, not just me, not just them, but all. Help me see what I'm not seeing. Help me engage in a way that's beneficial for all people. Third truth carries this energy. Third truth is that. And why is it so hard? Because it pushes you out of your comfort zone. Me, mine, I, myopic engagement into co-creation, into what we don't know. And what we don't know, if you're a curious person, it's fun. It's fun to be wrong. It's fun to make mistakes. It's fun to say, wow, you fucked up and here's why. And I want to say it's fun. I'm, I'm being cute about it, but I'm saying you're not as, you're not as, um, as rigid about, about how you engage with life in this way. You know, there's curiosity. One of my greatest gifts is curiosity. One of my greatest gifts is being able to sit, sit in front of whoever it is that I should present a version of myself of an expert. And I'm like, so talk to me about it. Tell me more. Educate me on it. That is your third truth speaking. That is third truth emerging. Are we communicating? So it's urging you to ask for what for, for the unknown to make itself known. And in conflict is really hard because in that moment, you think that your way is the only way. But the next time you find yourself in conflict, I want you to get really good at pausing. And I'm, I'm going to go through the list of ways that we can pause and the, and the reasons why we don't pause. But I wanted to start at the highest level. Third truth. Wow. Okay, so in every exchange, every time, constantly, third truth is always there. Okay, understood. I get it. If you can harmonize with this and you can let this become somatically alive in you, in your body, then we can start to move towards conflict being for lovers. Your perspective is not, is not 
the only perspective. Your perspective is not the truth. Because the truth would mean that everybody would interpret your depression in the same way. Would mean that everybody would interpret your grief in the same way. Would mean that everybody would have the same needs in the same ways you have. Are we communicating? The truth is one that's happening for all. The truth is one that we can, all people can arrive at one point and witness it and see it. Now, perspective is one that is deeply rooted in me, mine, and I. It's very much in how I've lived in the consequence of my past actions, you know? So when we are looking at the high truth, we realize that feelings are impersonal. Why? Because if feelings were, if a passing feeling was the truth of who you are or the truth of the moment, it would mean that you are unloving because you were just rejected. Are we communicating? Rejection comes and goes. Does it leave a sting? Yes. But does it mean you are undeserving, unloving, or perhaps even broken or bad? No. Is that the truth of who you are? No. So how you feel in the moment, it's not the truth of the moment. Are we communicating? Let that sink. How you feel in the moment, it's not the truth of the moment. It's hard to hear. Because your feelings are valid, yes, but they're not the truth. Your feelings are valid, but they're not the truth. All this stuff is a little hard to hear because we are socialized into giving, you know, all of our, all of our power to how we feel and to our stories. But when we give power to our feelings and our stories as the truth, not as an aspect of reality. And you hear me say aspect of reality versus the truth. You're going to start to weave these things together a little bit more on your own. But you got to start to like, oh, wow, cool. The truth about the human spirit is that all people are good. That all souls on earth are inherently worthy of love. Does that mean that some people do some fucked up crazy shit? Yes. But is that the entire truth of who they are? No. So this openness is what we need to start understanding. Right? So this is where I say truth is one that all people could see. Perspective is one that only you see. Understand that? Understand that. Understand that. Okay? Now, oftentimes... When we cannot see third truth, when we cannot see, um, when we when we can't communicate in the present moment with with our lover, with our friend, with our family member, with those in the our in our fifteen, what is happening? Oftentimes, it's a hysterical outburst that comes up, and we know in AA. That if it's hysterical, it's historical. It's like a mantra for Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Um, oftentimes, our outburst of anger, our outburst of our big outburst that's outsized, that's bigger than what the what the what the context calls for, 
when how we relate to the present moment is when our feelings don't match the context of the present moment, it means that it's hysterical. It, it means that it's historical. Let me say this again. When our feelings don't match the context of the present moment, we have to go inside and realize that we're regurgitating the past into the present. Does that make sense? Oftentimes, we are not, our feelings are not matching the context of our reality. We're not happy when someone's happy. We're not sad when someone is sad or sad things don't make you sad or happy things don't make you happy. You know, seeing a daughter, I, I literally can, I literally take the elevator with this, uh, with this um, two or three year old um, young boy with his mother a couple of times a week and seeing their relationship. I navigate the full spectrum in that moment. I'm so happy and I'm so sad, you know, cause I can, I can witness the grief. And I can be with the happiness. Oftentimes we see a mother, daughter or a mother, child. And, and then we're triggered by them being funny and sealing cute together. So all of this is a sign of, of our, uh, of, of the hysterical,ness of the unprocessed. That's the unloved trauma, the unloved feelings from the past. So when our feelings do not match the context of reality, that means that there is something within us that we are unloving, that we are unwilling to look at. Are we communicating? Yeah. So from this point, I don't like the word hysterical because, um, but for this context, it's necessary here because that word was used to gaslight women. Uh, and it was created, uh, created this whole movement. Anyways, we're not going to go into that. I, I just have to name that for all the, the female identified, uh, uh, people in the room who are listening that the word, I understand how the word hysterical could be triggering, bitch, I'm triggered too. So, you know, so you're not alone. But if it's hysterical, it's historical means that oftentimes a relationship dynamic will call forth what's historical. A relationship dynamic will call forth what's historical, which means will call forth the unloved aspects of your biography. So the person in front of you may have said, you know, do you want a cup of coffee? And all of a sudden you're like, what the fuck, man? Like literally, it's so, it's so like, it's, it doesn't match, you know, it just doesn't match. How many times have we had an outburst that does not match? <laughs> I'm being funny here because it's fucking crazy. The shit that we do, you know, literally and the amount of times that we do this throughout the day, but I want you to start to realize that every time how you're responding to life. If it's not matching the context of reality, it's because there's something in you that isn't loved. And in that moment, what do you do as somatic practitioners? You drop the story, blaming, shaming, criticizing, pathologize. You make me sick. You are the worst. I hate you. You make me fucking crazy. We go into that space where we are like blaming the person in front of us for, for the outrage inside of us. Instead of doing any of that, 
we bring ourselves back and say, oh, wow, the stories in my mind are saying that you are the sole proprietor of my misery. The stories in my mind are leading me to believe that you are the worst person in the world and I should get the fuck out of here and I hope you burn in hell. Pause. Don't let the stories run wild. You know, as a somatic practitioner, that the stories, talking back to stories, engaging with stories, reacting to stories will never set you free. What will set you free? What will set you free? What will set you free? Feel your fucking feelings. Drop the story. Be with the feeling. Drop the story. Be with the feeling. Easier said than done, right? When we're triggered, when we are unhinged, when the dragon has taken over the body. Woo! It is easy to say. Drop the story. Be with the feeling, right? But that's what you have to do. Sorry. <laughs> that's literally what you have to do. Is you have to realize that the stories are myopic. The stories are filled with blame and shame. And because we don't operate under the guidance of the stories, we have to relinquish our hook from the stories. Because the more energy you give it, the more they're going to run wild. So you have to unhook yourself from the stories that are happening in the mind and bring your awareness to where is the anger in the body? Where is the rejection in the body? Where is the grief in the body? Where is the abandonment in the body? Where is the terror in the body? Where is the fear in the body? Where in the body is it? So you could be the one that's somatically realized in a relationship and say, I see what's going on. Where in your body do you feel the anger? They may say, fuck you with this somatic bullshit, but just prompt them again. Where in the body is the abandonment? Where in the body do you feel the terror? And you're going to find your way of doing this. You know, I'm not giving you the, the, I'm not giving you a prescription here. I'm giving you the high truth of how to engage. Now, how you internalize and, and uh, digest it, it's going to be unique to you. You might say, you may have a keyword in your relationship, pineapple. And we say pineapple, it's time to ask each other, where is the anger in the body? Or you may say, whatever, I don't know. For me, I had pineapple in the past and it worked because it was cute. It was a silly word, you know? But in order for you to get good at conflict, you're going to have to have these tools. You're going to have to pause, drop the stories, be with the feeling. You're going to have to go to the body. Where is the anger? Where is the terror? Where is the confusion? Where is the rejection? Where is it in the body? And you're going to have to go there with your awareness or your partner. When your partner tells you or your friend tells you, the anger is in my chest, you say, can I please put my hand on your chest? And with their consent, you're going to put your hand and I can, ooh, just doing this to myself, I can feel my eyes welling up. And you can put your hand in their chest. And you could be with their anger. And what's going to happen is going to be miraculous. The shit's going to change for you. All of a sudden, you've invited them to the utmost intimate aspect of ourselves. Our feeling. And then 
the the walls that the stories build will soften. But a lot of people don't even know where they feel their feelings. A lot of people don't even know how to be with what's going on in their body, you know, to feel it. So you got to practice feeling your feelings outside of conflict. You have to practice feeling your feelings outside of conflict because conflict, it's heightened. There's a lot at stake. Especially if you're coming here because your marriage is falling apart, then bitch, you better practice this. <laughs> and I'm being funny because it's hard or relationships crumbling. Because you're trying to bring these tools into something when you are in a fire. Go cool off for a while. Go practice. Bring yourself to somatic, activated healing dance floor. Dance with those feelings. Learn how to be with your feelings. Learn how to feel your feelings before you go to a high stakes engagement, like a conflict, like making a phone call, like seeing the partner that you've been, um, uh, that you haven't talked to in a few days, like, or seeing your mom or friend or whoever. Don't say, oh, I learned this thing on this, on this Dharma workshop with Sa and then let me try it right now and let me call someone right now. You better put that into practice. You better practice for a little while knowing how to feel your feelings before you try to feel your feelings in front of somebody else. Now, one of the greatest gifts is when you can say, wow, this experience is bringing up these kinds of feelings. When I feel this, I think this. When I think this, I want to say this. I want to do this. When you can invite somebody into your feel, think, say, and do circuit, you better know that you've graduated. You're no longer in elementary personal development space. Welcome to the path, bitch. Are we communicating? But we don't say, I feel this. When this happens, I feel this. And when I feel this, I think this. And when I think this, I want to say this and I want to do this. No, we don't say any of that. We don't we invite people away into this intimate space. We say, you make me feel like this. And we truly believe that someone has the potential of placing a feeling inside of your body. We believe that someone has the actual superpower of placing terror inside of you or placing anger inside of you or placing rejection inside of you. No, not possible. Of course, through empathetic resonance, you can feel their feelings. You can feel with them what they're feeling. Yes, but what keeps the feeling lingering around? What runs the feeling longer than 90 seconds, which are their natural life cycle? Your unprocessed baggage. Did that sink in? Because when that sinks, honey, <laughs> it's fire. It's fire. My loves, let's take a quick break from the episode because I got to share something with you that is delicious, mind-blowing, and, and kind of really sweet of a surprise for me. Backstory, which probably all of you know um, by now, I have struggled with acne scars um, for as long as I can remember. And I say struggle as in, I've always wanted to not have them, you know? And of course, cystic acne is gone, which is wonderful, but the scars are there and they're deep and they are, um, they're, they're always like, good morning, sir. How are you, darling? Nice to see you again. 
and I have spent so much money trying to get rid of these cars. I have, you know, literally gotten, I mean, I, it's pointless to mention, I have done pretty much all the things available under the sun to be able to change the, the texture of my skin, to be able to say goodbye to the acne scars. For me, for me, because for you, if you think I don't look cute with my acne scars, uh, it is a reflection of the quality of your mind, okay? Let's just put that into perspective for a second. So anyways, I get sent, I get sent a lot of products all the time. People that want to participate in a podcast, people that want me to talk about their products. And I'm extremely fierce about the brands and the products that I talk about because I have to be a trustworthy source for my community, my students. And so anyways, I have, uh, I have found, no, this product found me and I'm so glad it did. It's called One Skin. And the product's necessarily not built for acne scars. It's built for a variety of other different benefits, uh, which I don't need them right now, or I don't think I will need them because I'm fine um, with the way my skin is aging. However, if you're interested in transforming your aging process in a way that is healthier looking or more relaxed looking or whatever it may be for you. The point is, I want to share with you this product founded by four female PhD level longevity scientists with over 15 years of experience studying the biology of aging. The product that I'm holding in my hand right now is called One Skin OS One Face. I wash my face and I put this on and I put sunscreen on and that is all. And in one week, honeys, I swear to you, it is wild. The, compl the, the complexity, no, the texture of my skin is changing so much. I'm like, this can't be true, you know, because I always dream of a product like this. But hey, now it is here, you know. And unlike most skincare products on the market, one skin works deeper than the surface level. And it's designed to promote healthier skin from the inside out. And check this out. In an independent 12-week clinical study, OS1 Face, which is the product that I'm holding in my hand, the product that I'm talking about, demonstrated uh, efficacy by strengthening the skin's barrier and significantly reducing visible signs of aging. In the study, they were able to have these epic results. Wrinkles were diminished in 87% of users. And 95.5% of the people who were in this, in this study, in this clinical trial, experienced improved firmness. One Skin is for everyone that wants to prevent or reverse the signs of aging with groundbreaking approach. One Skin addresses skin health at the molecular level targeting the root cause of aging so skin behaves, feels, and appears younger. It's time for you to get to experience a new skin health routine. And I'm offering you, as a listener of the podcast, a 15% discount when you use code capital S-A-H, my first name, you should know by now, at oneskin.co. That's 15% off at oneskin.co with code S-A-H. And it's O-N-E-S-K-I-N dot C-O. 
and the code is capital S A H. And enjoy, my darling, because we only have one body, one skin, and only you can choose to make it better. Age healthy with one skin. Empathetic resonance is a real thing. You will feel their anger when they're angry. Yes, but what's going to activate your rage? It's not literally because they put that rage inside of you. It's because the rage has been in there. And it's a matter of you realizing that the rage monster has taken over the body. You're possessed. Don't allow the possession to take over and guide and speak and dictate and be myopic and selfish. Stop. Stop. Stop all of it. Go to the feeling, not the story. Go to the feeling, not the story. So many relationships and because the rage monster possesses the body and we blame them for how we feel. We don't say, hey, we are, we are losing the plot right now. We, can't, we don't have access to third truth. We are doing all this spiritual work, but it's not working right now. And we can pause and say, wow, these things are getting out of hand. Fires in the room. Okay. How can I stop everything we're doing? And maybe it's the pineapple word and maybe it's whatever. And how could I, could you invite your partner, your friend to say, Hey, when you don't call me back or when you leave the dishes like this, or when you speak to me like this, when you come home and you don't get up and give me a kiss, or when you come home and I'm talking to you and you're on your phone, I feel this. I feel abandoned. I feel alone. And when I feel alone, I think that I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life. And I'm undeserving, unloving. And I even think about unaliving myself. And when I think these things, I want to tell you to fuck off. And when I want to say these things, I want to go and drink myself to sleep. Invite someone in to your inner world. This is why I said at the beginning, who are the people that you can invite to that place? Who are the people that you're willing? And I don't want to say deserving because all people deserve intimacy from you, but we're not there yet. That's so far advanced. That's literally what the sages and saints of the Himalayas and across the world can practice. We're not there. I'm not there. But we can offer intimacy to the core. We can say, hey, I feel, I think, I say, I do. This is what happens for me when this experience happens, okay? And you can invite them into that place and to say, hey, when I feel this, I think about this. And when you say, I think about this, you're going to invite them into the, to the historical. Are we communicating now? You're going to invite them into the historic. You're going to bring them to that place when that thing happened that you are placing blame for. I feel this way because my mother abandoned me because my mom wasn't there. But we don't know the third truth. Mom was probably working three jobs trying to keep the lights on, honey. But you perceive her to not have cared. 
You now have psycho spirit, not psycho spiritual, but, but psycho, uh, psychological language. And now you call mom narcissistic. And now you and your therapist have bonded over, I am a survivor of narcissistic abuse. And you wear that proudly and you post about it. And you talk about it like it's a badge of honor. I'm a survivor of narcissistic abuse. How, hello, how are you today? No, enough with that. Enough with this. Literally, no. You could do better. You may have lived through narcissistic abuse. I'm not taking that away from you, no. But once you truly know third truth, once third truth is more alive in your life, it's the only way that you're actually going to be able to understand that, wow, mom was literally doing her motherfucking best to work hard, to rent in a fucking good school district so I can go to a good school. And she was only 27. Imagine you at her age having a baby and trying to do this fucking thing. It's crazy. It's crazy. And now with this, the, 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 this, it's a lot. It's a lot. Every therapist who graduates school isn't qualified to do this work. Okay. We have to know this. It's like, it's really insane how many times I hear things that people tell me that their therapists have said. Listen to my podcast with the holistic psychologist, right? Quote, unquote, the most famous psychologist in the world, Dr. Nicola Pera. And her and I, and listen to my podcast with Dr. Jen Mullen, who wrote Decolonizing Therapy. Both of these women listen to those episodes. And just see what they have to say as being in the field, having gone through the system. And I left my contemplative psychotherapy training because I was like, fuck this shit. It's like, enough, girl. I'm a kinesthetic learner. I'm going to go to Nepal and sit in a fucking cave. And I'm going to throw myself in an orphan center if I want to know how to care for trauma. I'm going to throw myself in a hospital. If I want to call myself trauma-informed, let me be with the dying. Someone put it on their Instagram bio, um, trauma-informed manifestation coach or something. And the thing is, those words don't go together. Because manifestation isn't a trauma-informed approach to life. Because if you truly understand trauma-informed languaging, you know that it's impossible for all people to have an equal place in this world. So when you preach... You can live the life of your dreams. You, you get what you want out of life. Manifest your reality. That is, that is not trauma-informed. That means you're not understanding the, 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 the social, political, systemic world that we live in. Are we communicating? Don't let me lose the plot. But are we staying? You stay on track, okay? You stay on track. You stay on track. Right. So I need you to stop blaming the messenger. Stop blaming the messenger. Like what if your triggers are literally messengers, are messages delivered by a messenger? Every message has to be delivered by something, someone. Oftentimes, it's our loved ones. It's the people that we care the most about. It's the, the core 15. 
Stop blaming them for teaching you how to be in your body. Stop blaming them for teaching how to feel your feelings. Stop blaming them for teaching you how to let go. Are we communicating? Are we communicating? It's really a must practice of, of awakening when you can communicate your trigger as it's happening. To say, wow, this is bringing up a lot of sadness for me. Wow, this is bringing up a lot of anger for me. You see the language, how relaxed it is? Wow, this is bringing up a lot of anger for me. Wow, this is bringing up a lot of sadness for me. Wow, this is bringing up feelings of rejection. It's not, I feel rejected by you. Are we understanding? We need softness in language. We need sweetness. We need language that brings people together, not pushes people away. Okay? And I have to go back briefly with the narcissistic abuse thing for a second. Because five minutes ago, people had no language for any of this, right? Literally. They had no language for anxiety, depression, suicidal ideation, you know, even how we how we were talking before we started recording, depersonalization and derealization are things that happen to half of the population. And vast majority of people don't even know about it, don't even know that they're feeling it, or don't even know how to communicate. And then they tell their they tell their mental health practitioner about it and then they get medicated instead of realizing that, hey, this is a natural coping mechanism. Okay, I'm not against medication. Please get medicated, bitch, but don't you leave the somatic dance floor. Get medicated, but stop fucking drinking. Get medicated, but please move your body regularly. Breathe your body regularly. Don't just get medicated and don't go sit in the sunshine. You know, the hypersensitivity that should be a superpower has now become a, a, a fragility. Our, our hypersensitivity, our capacity to feel with each other, to feel our own should be, is a superpower that is attributed to the spiritual path. However, it's now being weaponized. It's now being a, a, a way for you to close yourself off and lock yourself away, you know. We need to realize that languaging is helping us realize and understand. Wonderful. Wonderful. But is the languaging and, and the understanding helping me, setting me free, or separating me, or alienating me, or keeping me, protecting my peace? Are you in that space of protecting my peace? Are you in that space where your, your boundaries are so rigid because I don't want to hang out with those people. They make me feel like shit. That may be true, but you can't name that until you have been set. Once you've sat in that room and understood that if they're calling forth sadness in you, it's because that sadness was unfelt, unloved in you to begin with. You know, are we communicating? It's important that you are testing your material constantly because protecting your peace keeps you in a realm of personal development, not on a spiritual path. 
Spiritual path urges you to sit with people, to be with the other, to navigate the boundaries being blurred. As Kelsey men mentioned, the love and light agenda, 100%. Good vibes only. You want to buy that? You, you can buy that rug at Target right now. You know, good vibes only. Or the little like plaque, plaque that you can put on your, or the, the, the fridge magnet. Good vibes only. Or that bitch, the beach uh, towel. Good vibes only. Go to Target right now. And get that shit. And set yourself for failure, not success, because that's the truth. If the love and light agenda or the good vibes only is your agenda, you've lost the plot. Conflict is not for lovers for you. So we need to understand that our sensitivity, which comes has come for a lot of us with our languaging in today's world, should be bringing us closer together. Now, I touched briefly on the on boundaries, right? And I want to say now, how do you know your boundaries if you don't know what you value? Sorry, but that's just the big question. How do you know your boundaries if you don't know what you value? And what do you value? It can't be, I value money, power, success, or beauty, or I value nature. Get clear what you value. You cannot know your boundaries unless you know what you value. And then here's the thing. You cannot place a boundary unless you are living in integrity with your values. Did I give you the, the T? That was hot. I know. But this goes against what's being preached in the cycle babble of, of the social media space. People are saying boundaries for everything. Protect your peace. And I want you to be in self-preservation. I want you to preserve your well-being. Yes, vital. And also, you have to know that you don't know how to, how to say no or announce your edge. Say no and announce your edge are qualities of, of healthy boundaries, right? But we don't know how unless we know what we value in life. Do I value silence? Do I value friendship? You know, there's an exercise in the book, earlier chapter, that I go through a list of so many, you know, deep, interesting questions to help you to understand what do you value? But for now, I want you to get to know what do I value? Because when I know what I value, then I know my edge. And when I know my edge, I know when to say no. You know, but it's important for you to also know that your knowing your values isn't enough. You have to live them. And living your values means integrity. Integrity. Congruency. Alignment. So if you say, I value peace, and someone's being loud, and you're like, dude, I, I told you I want to be quiet right now, but you never practice peace in your own time. What are you saying? You're then using their behavior to show you something that you don't like about yourself, that you're not following through with your values. Are we communicating? That's how boundaries are being used right now. 
I know, ouch. But you have to really live your values in such a way that you know, like, oh, this is important to me. This is so important to me because of how I live. Okay, cool. Now I know how to communicate what I value and how to communicate my edge. I think I, I, think I have something that I wrote about here. And on the, on the topic of boundaries, I wrote a little, I wrote a little something. This is this from the book. It's just a short little something. Maintaining healthy boundaries is a three-part process. In order to set boundaries, you have to determine what your boundaries are. Which will help you. How would you determine them? Based on the things that you value. Once you know what your boundaries are, you need to communicate them. And finally, you have to hold them. Communicating them is, is literally what the, the, the interface with the outer world. Hold them has to do first between you and you. Are you exercising your values? Are you living in integrity with yourself? Because then the way you engage with the outer world it's it's even going to be um, a lot of my boundaries aren't necessarily communicated. I mean, some of them are clearly, clearly you're going to hear me name them. But a lot of them, it's an energetic thing that happens. You know, it's an energetic thing that happens. I remember I was working with this, um, with the wife of this very famous rapper. And we were some someplace. And um, I remember the, 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 the energetic field around this person was clearly communicated. You can come close and you can't. And it wasn't a face. It wasn't a bodyguard because they walked around with many bodyguards. It wasn't that. It was an energetic thing. It was an openness or a close. And we can communicate that as we get more and more into our bodies. So a lot of the, the ways that we feel like I need to communicate my boundaries to you, um, it, it's, it's you're, communic you're saying to someone else what you wish you would be practicing. You're saying to someone else what you wish you valued. You're saying to someone else the ways you wish you live in integrity. Are we communicating? So it's important that the communication is happening as a byproduct of lived experience, okay? Byproducts of lived experience, right? Let me look at what else I have written here for us. Um, oh, big thing. Big thing. Paradox in relationship. So important. This is something that I see so often. We don't, I, and I named this a little earlier on, just I passed by really briefly but I want to name it now, which is how often we don't have the capacity to disentangle behavior from self. How often we don't have capacity to disentangle someone's hurtful tendencies from a hurtful spirit. How often we see it all as one. This can destroy relationships. 
And this can keep you uh, isolated because if you don't have paradox in your in your language, if you don't have paradox in your perspective, then it's really hard to engage with flawed humans. It's really it's nearly impossible to engage with flawed humans if you don't have paradox in your vocabulary. It's really easy for you to constantly go from relationship to relationship, from friend to friend, from job to job, from everything. You're just constantly hopping around looking for a perfect scenario, which will never inevitably happen. Because if we are on earth, we're here working on our freedom and imperfect until we enter nirvana imperfect until we become a Buddha, imperfect until we enter complete enlightenment. Are we communicating? Which oftentimes may take an entire lifetime. So paradox helps you to say, oh, wow, she's really selfish and totally generous. Wow, they are so small-minded in this way and they're so creative in other ways. You know, like and and learning how to exist with contradictory feelings, learning how to exist in contradictory narratives, like really arriving at a point that you can say, okay, cool. I can exist in this realm with you. It's okay to have these tendencies and these tendencies. And at some point you have to to sort of see, right? Like, is, are the, are the tendencies, the hurtful ones, do they overshadow the, 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 the beneficial ones? And if they do, maybe this is, this is time to end a relationship too. Everything I'm saying is not to, is not to, you know, make you stay in a relationship that is, that is like literally creating that you're participating in the co-creation of a, of a miserable experience. No. I want joy for you. I want kindness for you. I want sweetness for you. I want ecstatic bliss for you. You know? It's so important. So important. But we need to understand third truth and paradox go hand in hand. You know? Third truth and paradox go hand in hand. We have to really like find in within ourselves um, the grace, the acceptance, the patience to see someone for more than their behaviors, to see someone for more than their behaviors, you know? And it's easy to test this material out on the world. It's easy to test this with other people before testing it at home. Right, because so often when we are living together, partnered, married, or long-term friendship, we are so hooked into that person being this. Oh, they're so lazy, you know. But seeing if you can start to soften your rigidity, seeing if you can start to invite paradox into your thinking, paradox into into your perspective, you know, and just see like, oh, what else is here that I'm not seeing? What else is here that I'm not seeing? Did you enjoy this episode? Because if you did, I would love for you to go to the show notes right away and order or pre-order, depending on when you listen to this episode, uh, my new book, Spiritually Wheat. It's available everywhere books are sold. If you don't want to order on Amazon, you can order in an indie bookstore. There's You can find access to all of that. Also, 
If you're listening to this before March 19th of 2024, um, we have a bunch of events coming up for the book. So look for all those details, all those amazing opportunities for us to connect in the show notes. I love you so much. Thank you so much. Bless you so much. Big love to you so much. And let's do the work of being better at relating and connecting from the heart. So we help to end the loneliness epidemic. Okay, I'm calling on all the home bar enthusiasts right now. Are you ready to create a new kind of bar experience? One that's sober and filled with magic? Let's create a bar that goes beyond the ordinary, honey. And let's infuse it with the spirit of adventure, wellness, and connection. And listen, with that in mind, I need to share with you Anima Mundi's Apothecary and their wonderful brand new Elixir collection. When I saw that, I was like, honey, we got to share this with the community immediately. Even if you're not interested in becoming fully sober, you're sober curious, you just want to, you know, kind of try something different that's still going to make you feel good and sassy and delicious and be like, ooh, I like this. Then this is for you. One of their elixirs that I adore is the Euphoria. It's composed of organic, wild-crafted, and ethically grown botanicals. It's like a, a potion for joy. And trust me when I tell you this, honey, for those of us who are on a sober journey, or if you are on a sober, curious journey, you're going to drink this, honey, and you're going to be like, ooh, girl, what's in this shit? But hey, honey, it's just a bunch of amazing, organically grown botanicals mixed together to give you that, ooh, I like this feeling. You know what I mean? And they have this Elixir Kit Barista Series. It is gorgeous, iconic, legendary, buy it for your house or also buy it for a friend. That gotta be a sweet friend, honey, because that, that's gonna require your, a little bit of more of an investment. You could also just get each of the elixirs by themselves, right? And it's an invitation for you to become a spiritual mocktail barista in the comfort of your own home. You know, trust me, you're going to love it. Your body is definitely going to love it. Your mind will thank you and your soul will be like, okay, honey, okay, lit. Listen, and I guarantee you that people that try these elixirs are going to be like, oh, what's going on, honey, over here? I mean, you got to find a recipe that works, but this is the base of it. It's delicious, amazing, and it's going to get you lit. Are you ready to unlock the magic of this elixir collection, honey? Head over to animamundiherbals.com. I'm going to try to spell that for you. A-N-I-M-A-M-U-N-D-I herbals.com. Herbals is spelled H-E-R-B-A. LS.com. Or instead of you listening to spell this, you know, trying to pass the spelling bee over here, go to the link in the show notes. And listen, don't forget to use code capital SAH number one and number five, SA15 at checkout for an exclusive 15% off your order. Okay. Bless, bless all this beautiful, sober, spiritual bar experiences that you're about to create. Love you.